So I was talking to Malcolm Harris earlier because there's this new Stuart Brand biography out. And we were basically talking about how um, after Stanford, he like wanted to become an army ranger and like went into the military, but then like figured out it was hard. Um, and so <laughs> then couldn't do that. And then he wanted to be a Green Beret, but then that didn't work out either. And so just like, like me, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> just like, wait, I have to do a second push up. Fuck this. Yes. Yeah, he, he was just like, I'm going to be in the military. And they were like, no, okay. All right. Well run through these tires. He was like, this is hard. I'm going to be a Green Beret instead. I assume you just have to wear a hat for that. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, you know, you need to actually do the training to be a Green Beret. And he was like, oh, okay, well that doesn't work either. And so then his like sister's husband was like higher up in the military and so then they just like gave him some cushy jobs to like ride out his army time because like they didn't actually trust him to do anything he probably would have like fucked it all up that's like my <laughs> dream job my dream career is i do basically the same amount of work that i'm doing now which is to say next to nothing but i get a 10 percent discount on like any breakfast sandwich at denny's and people like thank me for my service yeah that's, that's right. what i want you you want to be in you want to be in like the 101st PowerPoint division. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, my MOS is hat model. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you want, to be, you want to be just like making a PowerPoint about, you know what it is? You want to be making a PowerPoint about how... Um, uh, 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 I, 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 made, yeah. I made the database that stores information on what all of the little patches say. And I get to like go and like look through all of the stocks of patches just to make sure that they say oh, what they say. Because I, I was going to say you could make a PowerPoint on like how to handle information on USB keys for British soldiers stationed in Germany, something really specific like that. But no, I, I think it would be better if you just in went through boxes upon boxes upon boxes of inscrutable patches and just had a little clipboard ticking them off. Hi, everybody. Uh, it is, of course, TF. It's that podcast you're listening to right now. It's the free episode. It's the free one. You'll, you'll notice that uh, only yes, one. I'm back on free. <laughs> only mm. one <laughs> of um, only one annoying uh, zoo crew style voice came in here because it is a uh, rare. Much depleted. Yeah. We, we are running on, on fumes here at TF Acres. Uh, and I'm going to let you know why. It's because Milo is on a much deserved vacation. Um, and I um, locked myself into our office. Yeah, the thing is, the thing is, you've been trying futilely to get me into wine for a while. You've been like sending me links to the Wine Society website. You've been telling me about different vintages, and now you've fucking cask of amontillado'd yourself. <laughs> That's right. I have. I have locked myself into our office because for some reason my keys. I have the joke keys. <laughs> That you know, everyone all gets. of us are locked in here with you. Yeah, well, you except, in a, except in a second, more real sense, you are locked in there with you. <laughs> Absolutely, you and, you and your Elon Musk cut out behind you. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Hussein will be uh, joining us probably for the last third of this uh, if he gets here in time, because he is coming from Dartford to let me out. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're the most competent professional band of podcasters in the country i think and, and that's that the problem is that you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to see the romaniacs do this all right i think i think if they put their mind to it the romaniacs could all lock themselves in different offices 
Um, and so, of course, it is myself, Riley. Uh, I'm joined ably by uh, by Alice. Uh, and uh, we also have delighted to be making, uh, a, a, I think, fourth appearance on the show. Uh, it is returning champion. It is Tech Won't Save Us's Paris Marks. Paris, how's it going? Hello. Thanks so much for having me back. As I said, free episode again. I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, love being on the show. Yeah, no. Uh, a pleasure. I think he might be setting like a, a sort of new land speed record for how quickly anyone's come back <laughs> on the show, too, which is great. I just keep coming back and back and back, and it seems like the time like keeps shortening. I think I'm just going to become a ho- co-host soon. <laughs> That's right. That's the thing. They t- they turned on the big machine at CERN that makes Paris Marks host your podcast. <laughs> well, if you're a Bottleman listener, you'll know also know that um, the most recent Bottleman episode to be out. Uh, Dan Beckner was too busy doing Rockstar stuff uh, to co-host a, a podcast. This is old pal Riley. And so uh, Paris filled in for that as well. So it's just piles of Paris. <laughs> yeah, the large I'm just Paris on collider. all the podcasts these days. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, look out for Paris on Masters of Our Domain. Uh, look out for well, popular. Problem, yeah. Kill James Bond. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just, just on all of them. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to watch a James Bond movie now, dude. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, no, so. We've evolved long beyond the need for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> absolutely. I played the Goldeneye game when I was a kid. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, it's a, you're trying to speedrun facility. It's gonna The podcast lasts for right. two minutes, and it's mostly you going, hmm. <laughs> we, did, we did try and make an episode out of the video game, and let me tell you, Despite our best efforts, a video game is not very conducive to a movie review podcast. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's, you're, you're sitting there, you're just like, ah, oh, come on, do something. It just says a start menu. Um, so look, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, if you're a British listener and you're listening to this, uh, number one, thank you. Number two, um, you might be Wait, wondering... Why thanking them? They haven't paid us any money. Oh, yeah. Well, well, for those of you that pay money, thank you. For the others, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah, you, 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 layabouts. Um no, so, <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> welcome to the Ayn Rand podcast. No, no, no. Um, so uh, you might be wondering, oh boy, uh, I can't wait until these uh, my my favorite you know uh, goof 'em ups uh, talk about uh, further uh, insane developments in the uh, sort of uh, Tory leadership contest. Um, no, absolutely not, not going to do it yeah. because we did something smart, right? The only thing we've ever done that's smart, and this is also why Paris is here, is when we don't know about something, which is all of the time, we go and find someone who does, and we say, "Would you like to listen to two to five hooting morons for an hour, and then say the correct thing about this?" Correct. Um, <laughs> and very often, surprisingly, very smart people say yes to that offer, and so we got another one. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we we got we got Phil Burton Cartledge yes. back on to talk about the Tory leadership election. He is going to be on at a further point in time when we will know more and be able to say more things that we think sound smart. That's absolutely. I was right. nervous for a second that you were going to expect me to say the smart things about the Tory leadership contest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I think what we can do is say uh, there is one correct take about the Conservative leadership election. Uh, you know, we all share it, uh-huh. and Paris is going to deliver that take uh-huh. to us <laughs> right now. Oh shit! Yeah, so. <laughs> um, Rishi Sunak for the win? What? No, I'm afraid the correct answer was that uh, Penny Mordaunt is hot. I'm That's sorry. Right. That is is that right. evil border one gonna gonna run? Uh, no, she's already dropped out. Oh, well, okay. well, it depends which evil border one. I know the one well, you're talking all, about. They're all evil border ones, but you mean okay. Pretty Patel? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're talking yeah, about Pretty Patel. One, yeah. She's since dropped out. 
a couple of the other evil border ones have since dropped out, but there's like all the rest of them are all evil border ones. So okay. I, I, at the, time of recording, yeah. it's between Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt. And although we said we weren't going to talk about this, I will say this. I don't know that the United Kingdom is prepared to have a hot prime minister. I don't emotionally, psychologically, <laughs> economically. Um, and, yeah. that, you know, if, if Penny Mordaunt does win, that puts me in a very difficult position. And I'm just going to have to stop talking about politics because everything I say will be unacceptable. Look, look. <laughs> See, I said Rishi Sunak because I don't know the rest. <laughs> That's why. Him. You know why? <laughs> it's, he's, got, he's, he's got name recognition among Canadians. He was Superman in that, in that little BBC thing. Well, <laughs> well, well, yeah. well, I, I want to sort of move on to a couple of uh, bits of front matter, right, before we get into our main subject today, which, of, of course, uh, the gigantic trove of, inter- of internal documents and emails that have been leaked from Uber, uh, which, Paris, you have written an excellent um, write-up on in uh, Tribune. So uh, Thank you. Do, do, do check that out. We'll link it in the description. Um, Already but- has... Uh- Portuguese and Italian translations, German coming next week. So you know, if you speak other languages, there you go. Perfect. Yeah, if you made it into, if you made it into this English language podcast, <laughs> you would rather read it in Portuguese, Italian, or German. Yeah. You know, then by the time you're hearing this, you're covered. Um, it was very difficult <laughs> to translate a story about the company Uber into German, but I'm glad they found a way to make it work. Uh, no one who speaks German could be an evil company. Uh, no, so, <laughs> That's right. Two bits. Uh, number one. Yeah, shaving a haircut. Yeah, the the D, the, D, the, uh, the DWP, uh, Department of Work and Pensions. Uh, this is sort of apropos of you mentioning uh, Rishi Sunak being dressed up as Superman. Um, has decided that in order to uh, cut costs and bizarrely improve fairness, uh, they are going to be decisioning like uh, outcomes for who gets benefits uh, using an AI system now. Oh, we're oh, plugging Jesus. we're plugging benefit sanction into Dali Mini and seeing what kind of like <laughs> fucked up little forms it generates for us. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's I love great to, how I love like immiserated. Sorry, it's like, great how like no, that's okay. It, it's great how like different com- countries keep like trying the whole AI welfare thing, and like every single time, uh, it like basically causes people to kill themselves and cuts off people's benefits when they really need them. And then other countries are like, hey, look, AI, this works really great, eh? Well, see, in Britain, in Britain, the way our benefit system works, that's kind of seen as more of a benefit than a hazard. Uh, and I yeah. wonder to what extent this is like useful in the sense of it saves the DWP time or money, or useful in the sense of it allows the DWP to appeal to a greater computer that has said no, and therefore, please don't cry in my office. So what it's, what it's specifically aimed for is at detecting fraud but using patterns that indicate fraudulent behavior. Benefit, benefit fraud is minuscule. And it's it, yeah. it, minuscule both in absolute terms, but also in relative terms compared to you know any number of other kinds of frauds, most notably wage theft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the good news is that you know this will not work. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is... It, it just fully will not work. Yeah, like with, with the DWP, what this is essentially going to do is... You know, it's like... Um, it, it's, it's like... Uh, uh, Kind of, it's like a machine that just lets them say no faster. Like it's yeah, gonna put sure. some people whose job it is to say no to people out of work. Basically, that's the only yeah. thing that it's gonna yeah, and do. Then, and then they can apply for benefits and get turned down by the computer that replaced them. Yeah. Uh, it's, so then you don't even have someone to turn to. You know, it's just ah, the computer made the decision. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and what I always think is is really sort of notable about this, and this sort of the point that I want to drag out of it is that that what the DWP spokesman said says, we do not use artificial intelligence to make decisions on how a universal credit claim should progress. Um, 
where this is just about identifying fraud. But the problem is... That's how it always starts. Yeah, exactly. Though, yeah. Exactly. And, but it, because it's so opaque, and in fact, they, they reject multiple freedom of information requests for, like, for someone very reasonable saying, okay, how's this going to work? They were like, no, sorry, we can't tell you. Otherwise, people will use what we know to commit fraud. Jesus. Um, it's, it's just this, like, I mean, it, I think it's, it's just this, this one place where I think the, um, the national security state and the welfare state have really become the same state. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they say, it is right that we keep up with fraud in today's digital age, they said from 2006, uh, so we can prevent, detect, and deter those who would try to cheat the system, and more importantly, improve our support for genuine claimants. Because that's the other hat, right? Because they always say, whenever... AI is being introduced into a system to make it work worse. They, there are two claims that are usually made. The first claim is this is to identify um, unusual cases. Yeah, mis- yeah. Misuse. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is to identify misuse, uh, whereas people will always be making the important decisions. This, of course, never addresses the fact that identified as misuse could just end up basically bucketing someone who's very desperate for that last 20 pounds into a possible fraud bucket and then it's very di- then who's going to be like whose job is it to review that possible fraud bucket really quickly to take mismatches out of it we don't know and secondly talking about this idea of but also this is going to let us free up resources to improve our support for genuine claimants another lie that never ever actually is what happens it only ever oh. is involved in reducing the amount of people working there reducing the quality also, of service that get that gets put, also put out the- yeah, the, the amount of benefit fraud is, as we've said, so small that, uh, you know, even if it ceased to exist tomorrow, even if people never fiddled their benefits ever, the amount of, like, excess benefit you would get off of that, that you could, if, if you wanted to, give to other people would be vanishingly small. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the savings generally aren't worth, you know, putting people through the hell of of having to do this or putting these systems in. Like, what it brings to mind for me is... Australia went through a scandal a few years ago because they're, um, I can't remember the name of their, uh, Centrally, they're like, yeah, they're like welfare system, um, did something quite similar, you know, brought in this AI system that was supposed to like review these applications and look at the amount of benefits that people had compared against like their reported income and then see if they actually owed stuff back to the, the welfare agency and what it ended up doing was like sending out all of these um, basically fake um not fake but like miscalculated um benefit claims or whatnot or or benefit like um invoices or that people had to pay back um and you know it was all a load of bullshit it created a ton of um anxiety for people it cut people off from benefits that they need that they needed it caused people to commit suicide and the government ended up having to pay billions of dollars in compensation for it Mm. um and like these systems do not work in the way that as you're describing you know they get promoted um, they just really hurt the people who can least of all be hurt in this way. Well, yeah. which again, Britain benefit rather than ha- rather than a hazard. Yeah, yeah. Although I'll, so, I'll, I'll tell much you more this. than Britain, unfortunately. And now for a jarring change of tone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you I, this. I, I, had, I, had a, I had a joke in there in the middle that the Centrelink scandal was because they accidentally got the wrong AI, and instead of an artificial intelligence, they had an Australian intelligence. But uh, <laughs> it kind of fell a bit by the wayside due to the sort of overbearing grimness. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say I'll say one thing. Uh, I'm certain that 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 the events you described, Paris, won't happen in Britain because uh, compensation would never be paid in Britain. That's true. Yeah, that's right. The DWP has agreed to employ a single Australian man to find uh, benefit fraudsters. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That, look, he already lives in Britain. 
he wasn't working anyway. And we'd rather have him, it's like poacher turned gamekeeper. We'd rather have him finding the fraudsters, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, um, <clears throat> uh, so uh, I want to talk about one, one other thing before we get yeah, into our thing. main comment. A little fun thing, uh, which is, I guess so. boy, uh, boy, is, is the king is back. I don't miss the incitement to riot. I don't miss the sort of like incitement to racial hatred. I don't miss the like the violence, the misogyny, the homophobia, the racism, the transphobia. However, I do miss some of Donald Trump's tweets. And we got <laughs> a classic of the form on his like fake Twitter, which it's so funny <laughs> that he has. He has Truth Social, a social network that is just I want to follow Donald Trump on Twitter and no one else. <laughs> to be um, fair, that was Twitter for a while. That's true. That's true. It's not like emails anymore, and yeah. he has these little truths now. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you something else? Do you know what the retweet function on Truth Social is called? Don't look, you have to guess. Is it retruth? It is. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, so that was a heavily retruthed post. Like, I, I quote truth that with LMAO. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, go ahead. Because because our favorite our favorite space boy Elon Musk is in the news again, and Donald Trump more than anything is just kind of a Cassie bitch who loves to comment on people in the news insultingly. He, he we have that in common. Yeah. Uh, and he's, <laughs> he's way better at it than we are. Well, I'm saying, so insulting. He's so good. Like. I have I have the history of this essentially, uh, which is that uh, Trump has been being basically has been uh, relentlessly owning Elon Musk. In the way that only a uh, regular guy from Queens could and could and, and um could could uh, sort of I'd say bring his ability to be a dickhead to bear on a uh, Reddit immigrant guy. Uh, oh, effectively, sure. uh, yeah. Uh, what's what's happened is Elon Musk has uh, very much uh, brought a Reddit meme uh, to a page six gossip fight. Um, and this all started. <laughs> Such a fucking beautiful sentence. This all started because when Musk, who's increasingly like, whose increasing thing has just been that he's kind of divorced. an online contrarian, divorced conservative, and so he yeah. did the ultimate yeah. version of that, which is endorse Ron DeSantis, the man whose main constituency is like three thousand roller backpack guys, and you know people who want to attend a Brooks Brothers riot but then couldn't do it because of their asthma. Um, they. <laughs> He basically was like, I endorse Ron DeSantis because he's epic and is owning the libs from a position of government and is a vac vaccine skeptic, whatever. Um, and largely because Elon Musk is, a is he loves Twitter and Ron DeSantis loves Twitter and just basically governs how Twitter tells him to govern. Um, yeah, like, like, yeah, he's sort of a libs of TikTok kind of, kind of government. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I mean that in the sense of Chaya Rajic has like an inside woman in his office kind of libs of TikTok governance. And so Jeez. Trump has basically been fuming about Musk for uh, months now, apparently. Uh, petty, yeah. petty slights consume like 70% of that man's sort of <laughs> energy, and it, uh, it's perfect for him. Um, it's, well, I think that's why, you know, posters recognize posters. Um, so sure, yeah. basically, uh, a, a source, this is from Rolling Stone, a source close to, who spoke to Trump about Musk's pseudo-endorsement of DeSantis recalled Trump saying, what an idiot, and then called him a bullshit artist, and that he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> then at a rally, he said, Elon, Elon is not going to buy Twitter. He's got himself a mess. He said to me, he said the other day, oh, I've never voted Republican. And I said, I didn't know that because you know what, folks, he told me he voted for me. <laughs> <laughs> Should I tell you? Should I tell you the secret? <laughs> it's, 
And then the crowd's just like, Tommy, Tommy, <laughs> gossip the, about that bitch. All these guys who just like love blood and like own jet ski dealerships being led into, as you say, a page six gossip column. Is d- d- perfect. Yeah, a fantastic. And then that led us to like the, the post. I, I the would truth, say, if you, if I would you will. say, a truth that is like up there with the Great and Carter truths. That's up. It's up there with, in my opinion, the Coca Cola company uh, is not very happy with keep, me. Don't care. I'll still keep garbage. drinking that garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, your dad gives good, good brain. It's called genes. All of that. All these the top yeah. truths that we all love and remember so well. Yeah. Um, uh, for, uh, we missed out on another great oh. Trump truth, which was the when Elizabeth Warren had to do the apology video for falsely claiming to be Native American. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, weirdest part of that video is when she turns to her husband and says, thank you for being here. It's his house. He's <laughs> supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we are. And then the problem was like, for most of the time when he was actually governing and for like when he was trying to, you know, stay in uh, illegally yeah, return the, the results the, of the, the election. The, the swamp got yeah. to him. You know, yeah. he wasn't posting that kind of classic messy bit shit. He was just posting things like, hey. You guys should go and overthrow democracy now, wink, wink. Yeah. Which isn't very funny. No. But in now, now he's now he's out of power. He's back, and what he has posted is a photo of himself with Elon in the Oval Office, which looks like I can't even tell if it's photoshopped. It looks like a hostage taking. It looks um, like he has the same standee that we have in our office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's he's another photo. There's another photo that he posts with it of Jack Dorsey, and it's like he looks like he's in the exact same position, but as you're saying, as if like Jack Dorsey and yeah. Elon Musk have been like separately photoshopped into this he image. Has, like a mark on the floor, yeah. like you were yeah. on a film set. But, but are you thinking that like, like Corey Lewandowski was just like there covered in tennis balls, ready to have yes. green screen onto him? <laughs> yes. So, so the, the truth here that I'm going to read is uh, from real Donald Trump. When Elon Musk came to the White House asking me for help on all his many subsidized projects, whether it's electric cars that don't drive long enough, driverless cars that crash, or rocket ships to nowhere, perfect Trump subsequent cause clause here, without which subsidies he'd be worthless. I mean, where's <laughs> the lie? Yeah, and, t- <laughs> and telling me how he was a big Trump fan and Republican, I could have said, drop to your knees and beg, and he would have done it. <laughs> now, the thing is, there's a part two to that truth, which says, now Elon should focus on getting himself out of the Twitter mess because he could owe $44 billion for something that's practically worth- worthless. Also, <laughs> lots of competition for electric cars. <laughs> I mean, just, and, and then, you know, Elon's only response is, is just to be like, uh, is, you know, to post a, post a meme of Chuck Norris. Epic and it's like, meanwhile, Here's a guy who is um, going to, you know, who is using his 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 power not for good necessarily, but certainly for chaos. Uh, as he just yeah, sort who, of disassembles loses, him, we win. Yeah, that's right. Um, and of course, but we'll talk about this at some point more fully in a future time. But the thing that that uh, the Donald is referencing here is that Elon is being sort of raked over the coals. He has put his hand in Twitter, sort of bear trap. And is now in the Delaware Court of Chancery trying to argue that actually he was just being epic and memeing and he shouldn't have to own Twitter. And the funniest possible outcome of this, slim chance, but it is possible, is that he ends up be like getting a large judgment against him that he can't pay, and Twitter ends up owning or part-owning Tesla. 
which is, I think, the world that we all want to live in. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> so Tesla somehow has more Nazis on it. <laughs> yeah, it's odd. Um, I mean, it, look, uh, please, it's, it's wild, though, because that truth as well, like there's been kind of a back and forth, too, right? Like they've kind of been hitting back and forth at one another. And the truth came after Elon Musk posted that Trump should hang up his hat and sail into the sunset because he's like endorsing DeSantis now and saying like Trump is too old. And so I, that was like, I guess, you know, the final straw for Trump. And that is like what his truth um, was in response to that really like, you know, <laughs> can never, anyone take down Elon Musk as well as that? Truth this 70 something year old man old. That's, that's, yeah. that's the thing, right? They're, these are two guys where you know that they have powerful followings because like people who get too into them regularly bankrupt themselves in insane financial schemes. <laughs> you know, like it's just so it's going to be ultimately was- like. The war was, of people who lost everything on on Tesla versus people who lost everything on dinars. There was there was a story um, about sort of from the the January sixth commission about how his like weird coterie of advisors slipped through the sort of Trump handlers his stuff and had an uh, had a long meeting an hours long meeting where they all screamed at each other. And uh, the guy from Overstock.com was there, and he kept eating meatballs the whole time and telling Trump to order the military to seize the voting machines. (laughs) (laughs) Where do all of these random people come, like, out of the woodworks from? The MyPillow guy, the Overstock guy, like... It's it's some kind of, like, sort of autochthonous, like, sort of deep, small business psycho thing. (laughs) Also, the phrase that that Pat Cipollone, uh, Trump's uh, chief of staff, used to describe this guy lives in my head rent free, which was he was nonstop housing meatballs. And presumably, <laughs> like if you're nonstop housing meatballs, that means by the time you're giving your idea of what to of what of uh, that Trump should like. You're, you're bloated. In, you're gassy. You're no, full of meatballs. You're talking. You're talking through a meatball. There's a meatball yeah. in there. <laughs> you through know. a meatball, you're like, you, yeah, you should have the national guard seize the voting machine. Honestly, the, the more the more I learn about the circumstances of January sixth, the more I feel like what has happened to America is the beginning of a Final Destination movie. Like it was all so appropriate. Like just, it kind of should have happened. Delirium. And, it's just it's an incredible moment in American history. But it's like it's one which. And it's only going to get worse. But it's somehow. like it's it's like they cheated death. They avoided the sort of um, the strange coup because it was planned by people who were slightly too stupid to do it, which is because perfect. They were talking through mouthful of meat. <laughs> and so what's going to happen now is that America is going to like go to an amusement park or go to the gym or whatever and get final destination. <laughs> <laughs> go to their yeah, Tesla the- boring company amusement yeah. ride. Perfect. Um, I I do fine. wonder what it does to like the Republican uh, movement now because they've all been like embracing Elon Musk recently because he has been like you know Im- wanting to get to know Jordan Peterson and like repeating their bullshit on like trans people and all this kind of stuff and it's like mm. um you know now if the same people who were like embracing Musk and now they also love Donald Trump and now they're in a feud what does it mean for them because the thing about Elon Musk like voting Republican that really kicked that off was him voting for that one in in Texas. I can't remember her name now. Um, and she's like, you know, anti-abortion, anti-gun control, pro-Trump, like questioned whether the election was, um, you know, uh, uh, so, so like know, a whether garden Biden variety actually won the election. Essentially. Yeah, yeah basically. And my, my sort of conclusion here is Donald Trump has never lost a page six gossip column fight in his yeah. life. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's fair. 
But the the thing is, like, what I noticed after he voted for that that woman Republican is that ever since then, she has been like citing Elon Musk all the time. She's always in his replies, like saying, like, yeah, great Elon or blah, 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 whatever. Um, like very much using him to um legitimize herself as like a new Republican congressperson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now if like you know, the person who she kind of really owes allegiance to allegiance to Donald Trump is feuding with the person who like she's been building her reputation on because she got the Elon Musk vote. Like, I don't know, I guess what does that mean for for them right now? He's he's gonna have to like go back to his real sort of eighties dirty tricks things to, <laughs> to defeat Elon. You know, there's there's you're gonna get phone calls from John Barron in the middle of the night about how cool <laughs> Donald Trump is. Uh, God, you know like they should it's it's like you know how when you turn a hundred here the queen phones you like if you turn a hundred really? and you're a registered yeah, yeah if you turn a hundred and you're like a registered Republican voter then you should get the midnight call from John Barron <laughs> like, you know what it is <laughs> um I, I mean the, to really sort of answer this before we move on and this sort of I think actually does have some bearing on like Uber and how it acted and everything is that one of the reasons I think this is actually kind of the split between Elon Musk personally. And and sort of the Republican Party generally is that like Elon Musk has become culturally the most famous inventor, uh, even if none of that is true. Obviously, that's what he is in the culture. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah, yeah it's a persona. Yeah, and sure. so what's happened is, and because the the less and less politics has been able to credibly say we are going to deliver a better future, right? Because. The sort of the the Reaganism um, sort of small state austerity vision that did have a really powerful vision of a better future just turned out to be bullshit morning in America. Yeah. And now that you can't really sell anyone that on that anymore because it's it's America as well as the UK as well as, you know, well, not Canada, but the America and the UK have run through every flavor of that. Canada's had the same flavor most of the whole time. Um, (laughs) But uh, they've run through every flavor of that. At We're this like point. starting to get the the real right wing crazies. Uh, oh yeah, you know, we love really <laughs> popping up now. Uh, well, Alice, I don't know if you know about this, but our our putative next leader of our conservative party loves to like make speeches about Bitcoin next to a gigantic nickel in Sudbury. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. No, but so what happens, right, is that it's people, like, individual people, the personas of um of progress, something like Elon Musk is purported to be by the sort of gormless tech press. Uh, and then the rest of the press as well, and and politics and media stuff, blah 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 blah. These people, right? This is the person who the, we have to say, the like where our low tax state is going to be all about enabling this guy, and he's mm. been playing his part for quite a while. He's been he's been fitting in like a nice little puzzle piece in yeah, the now kind he of doesn't want to play ball anymore. Yeah, it, it, he, and that that's interesting. Yeah, and so it's like it's it's certainly I think it's probably worse for the uh people with their actual hands on the levers of instant uh, sorry it's probably the people with their actual hands on the levers of power uh in 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 the polity probably have a much um probably are going to get the better of this particular fight much like you know um trump is going to get much get the better of this particular bickering uh piddling contest um but it is interesting to see just that like he wasn't able to kind of play his part in the big political drama um, and is sort of ki- kind of kicking and screaming a little bit about it. So you you kind of wonder where this this big character is going to go. Yeah, I think it's interesting with Musk as well because like 
you know, you can see how his relationship to Obama and the Democrats was important in that period because he needed those subsidies for Tesla and for SpaceX. And then it was still important for him to suck up to Trump and the Republicans when they took office. You know, Elon Musk got on Trump's advisory committee. He wouldn't leave um, when he left the Paris. Was it? No, he wouldn't leave when he did the Muslim ban, but he would finally, he later left when they, when he left the Paris agreement. Um, and so like, you know, the immigration stuff didn't matter, but I guess the Paris agreement did, even though it made, I mean, Paris agreement is kind of for Musk's business, right? He sees it as for his own business. Yeah. Well, whether he gives a damn, you know, I think we could, we could question, but you know, I think it, it, he would alienate more people if he hadn't done it at that point because he also didn't have like the reputation he has now. But I think then it's interesting to see how he was willing to suck up to Trump and he felt it necessary to suck up to Trump in the way that Trump describes in his truth and in his speeches and whatnot that he's saying now. Um, But then to see the reaction that Musk has had to Biden and to the Democrats coming back in. And I think it's, it's a reflection of the fact that Elon Musk now has become powerful enough that he doesn't need the government and the state to back him in the way that he did before. Like, yes, he still needs the subsidies for SpaceX and things like that, but he, because he has accumulated so much wealth, because he has this cult following um, that like is just diehard Musk. um, It seems like he doesn't feel the need to like, you know, I guess try to work with these Democrats or try to get them to like him uh, as much as he would have Mm. felt in the past. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like, Trump's own sort of Twitter derangement happening again in miniature. Many such cases, so, as the man himself said. I want to move on a little bit uh, to talk about our core topic for the show. I, who, do, who, who could have predicted that talking about <laughs> uh, some Trump and Elon bickering, we'd go stay on way longer than planned? Um, yeah. <laughs> they're both really funny, absolute, yeah, absolute freak shows. I'm waiting for the uh, 10K posts episode now on, the, on yeah. Trump's truth. Uh, there has so to be one, right? And you're going to be on it, presumably, if uh, <laughs> if history is any guy. Uh, no, so yeah, we're right. talking, of course, Wait we're talking, see. of course, <laughs> about um, the, uh, the the Uber files. We're being called the Uber files, uh, which is a trove of documents released um, by a an Uber whistleblower, a guy who was a lobbyist, a guy who the, a lobbyist for Uber just could not, yeah, really knows yeah. Who, where the bodies are buried, yeah. kind uh, of. Way. He basically like headed guy. up. That's that's the one guy you don't want to be like telling anyone where the bodies are. Yeah, <laughs> but he basically headed up like the Uber's like European and Middle East push. Like he was like among the top people, so like he knows what happened. And uh, and on the one hand, yes, he definitely did reveal a lot. But on the other hand, um, you wonder, you do sometimes got to wonder why, uh, what's in it for him, and so on and so on. Uh, so with all of these kind of grains of salt, I'd say in the background, um, I would love to go through some of the revelations of, uh, let's say things that we've always had to say allegedly before, and now we no longer have to say allegedly before. (laughs) Some things where we can just say, yeah, this is like uncontested facts Uh, now. And, uh, so I'm just going to do a little, a little, little sort of table setting here. Um, so this is sort of hundreds of thousands of emails, uh, slide presentations, things of this nature, basically saying, hey, everyone, uh, we've, real- we've, we've realized what the ideal rate is to suck drivers in and get them to leave all their other jobs before we crater what we pay them. Getting, getting sucked <laughs> off yeah. by Travis Kalanick. Uh, and so the, and of course, the other thing is that these, these um, emails all are from the Kalanick era. 
And so Uber's response very predictably has been, no, we've got a Persian guy in now. It's fine. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we have hired a single Persian man and he is yeah. a bulwark against corruption. And, and That's right. Qasem Soleimani. And he's working very hard. Well, you were about to make the exact <laughs> Yeah, well, he's been working right, so like, hard. We haven't <laughs> even heard from him in a while. In years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, efficient. So, oh, no, it, really spreads himself all over. You know? <laughs> so it, yeah, it's all, it's all <laughs> over the room. It feels as though, right, uh, after reading this, <laughs> that if, if there was to be a movie um, made about Uber at this point, it would be quite a bit more tonally close to Wolf of Wall Street than it would be to The Social Network. They could call it the car of Wall Street. <laughs> oh my God, Alice! You should get into the film titles business. Um, the That's right. <laughs> uh, it, it's, however, I think also the, it, it suggests like that due to operating now, uh, sort of due to operating sort of just in the side of credibility and like glad handing enough politicians and pushing enough like favorable fake academic studies on two willing PR loving journalists. It's a version of the Wolf of Wall Street where Stratton Oakmont is very much still around today and promising that it has changed, yeah, which in a sense it sort of is because he's richer than Jordan Belfort is richer than he's ever been. Um, so uh, Paris, it's like three layers. Paris, this is this is what you've written in your Tribune article. You say the Uber files add to our understanding of the evil deeds that made Uber what it is today and how aspects of that playbook continue to drive its global war against workers. As the company's business model seems to undergo a fundamental shift, uh, seems set to go a fundament, undergo a fundamental shift, rather, we have an opportunity to correct a mistake made years ago. Uber's campaign to remake our transport system to serve its commercial imperatives, regardless of the consequences, should end here because we can do much better. So do you want to sort of go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. You know, Obviously, we know or, or I think most people would have an idea of like what Uber has done over the past number of years in order to entrench its um, business model. And certainly we get more details of that from the Uber files from this big uh, trove of documents that's been released. You know, it tells us how Uber has um, or Uber, how Uber was able to develop relationships with key political figures in order to, you know, get regulations that were favorable to it um, that included people. Uh, in the Obama administration or who were previously in the Obama administration, David Plouf, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, um, and Jim Messina. Uh, and they basically use their connections and the goodwill from being in the Obama administration in order to help Uber, in order to you know get Uber in the room with important people. Um, they even contacted ambassadors in countries like France and the Netherlands when Uber was facing regulatory pushback and, you know, um, governments were looking at regulating the the company uh but you know it's far beyond that as well like europe people in the european commission um the mayor of toronto uh george osborne when he was chancellor of the uk there were a bunch of meetings with british officials that were not even like officially reported that were yeah. revealed in these documents um so there's all uh, those our, our like, favorite our favorite jupiterian uh yes. president of france makes an how appearance. could i forget <laughs> yeah yeah, and and it looks like uh, Emmanuel Macron is uh, like facing a potential like parliamentary inquiry now as a result of those revelations. I haven't kept on uh, up on it the past couple of days. I don't know if they've like voted on it well, or it's whatever. It's not as though he's um, like he most very more. recently betrayed like half of the people in Parliament who are supposed yeah. to be in his block. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Jupiterian. I, my, my my question from all of the arising from all of these revelations are, is like to what extent is this distinct from? I, I want to say ordinary, even though there's nothing ordinary about it, commonplace lobbying, or is it distinct? Is this just that we're seeing like what lobbying is like start to finish with a cross-section? 
or is there something yeah, new about it? That's a good question. I would say I'm not like a lobbying lobbyist expert, so I'm not sure I would be able to speak too much on like how much it it um, resembles what we would usually see. I would see the I would say the thing that is distinct for me and that stands out, especially based on what Mark McGann said, who's you know the the Uber guy who who leaked this stuff, um, is he basically said that because. Um, this was a tech company because they were promising that this was like the future. This was progress. This was, you know, how the transportation system was going to work. A lot of these politicians not only were like open to hearing what Uber had to say, but wanted to get in the room with Uber, like wanted that contact, wanted to find out what they needed in order to kind of legitimize this service. There was a big desire um, to look like they were, you know, at the forefront of progress, embracing innovation, all this bullshit that we've heard for for years, right? Um, mm. And these revelations and what McGann says, because he was, you know, in the room with all these presidents and prime ministers and, and people like that, um, was really that they wanted to know what Uber wanted so they could help it to achieve those things. Um, and, and that's a serious problem. If we think about the orientation of governments to the tech industry and to, you know, tech policy and all these like big proposals that these they companies have been making. They yeah, love exactly. To fall for the hype. And so, so Uber's like kind of pushing on an open door, right? Totally, totally. Like, you know, whatever these companies promise, these politicians want to believe it, right? Because for some reason, they feel that it works for them or that um, this is how they want to present themselves to the public. And so Uber was really able to take advantage of that because it was one of the like primary companies that were getting um, portrayed in this way by the media. And of course, the Uber files reveal that Uber also had very close relationships with media. Um, they even allowed some like media barons in India and parts of Europe to buy into the company at favorable deals and like get, you know get these other kind of deals with Uber so that they would benefit as Uber grew um, and so you know so that Uber could take advantage of the power that they had the influence that they had with governments um, and Uber also paid off academics to do studies that were you know favorable to it and then to promote those studies in the media um, and so you know if we're thinking about how we actually kind of take on the tech industry and what it's selling us the absolute bullshit that it's selling us that's making the world a worse place and then we see that the politicians are like so eager to embrace you know whatever these companies are are going to say um that shows that like you know it's a real uphill battle and we really need to change the way that um i guess the people in power are able to think about these tech companies and um yeah, how they approach these things. We need to elect fewer yeah. rooms. Speaking of rooms, <laughs> uh, I do have the... Uh, the tough, uh, the tough I do have to Matt do. Hancock's yeah. response to being revealed in these documents in front of me. But, oh, but before I go, I go that way, I want to say also, like, but one of the reasons, right, why, um, why, why I think there, there's multiple reasons, I think, why, so, why poli like, electoral politicians uh, love to get hosed, basically. One of them is, I think this is something I've discussed many times before, is that this kind, much like Elon offers a vision of a better future, a marketing vision of a better future that politics really can't credibly offer inside the bounds of the Overton window anymore. Um, the other thing I think is that a lot is that this is it's common sense, or at least it was common sense in the mid to in the mid to like twenty teens that everything needed to be Uberized or Tinderized or or what have you, right? And well, you'd like you got Uber precisely, but for X, yeah. right? And yeah. you know it, what what it meant was. It was that the the people who's um who are who are desperately trying to generate positive headlines are going to 
just who live in that media world are just going to think in terms of more boosterism, more boosterism, more boosterism, because they're trying to follow where where things are going. In a world now, in a, in a world where I think there is widespread disenchantment with a uh, with something like with like Uber or whatever, you know, you now get um you and the, I think the example of, of of Matt Hancock here is pretty good, right? You now get people who are trying to distance themselves from these things and might not have might not have, let's say, been quite so willing to bend over backwards for them, if only because uh, they sort of were trying to bend over backwards for some other thing that they thought was going to be more hype. So it, it was a fad, right? Like it was sort of it was a fad. It was a bubble almost, uh, and, and people got so very. Here's what Matt Hancock it. said after being accused of taking a, an undeclared meeting with them in 2014. It was the policy of the government, quite rightly, to attract tech companies to the UK. All the efforts Matt undertook in pursuit of that were above board and declared properly. You're referring to himself. Uh, this is a spokesperson. Mister. Okay. Is the spokesperson <laughs> Matt it's, wearing it's Matt like, a Baron. comedy mustache? Uh, Mr. H- Mr. Hancock had previously tweeted his support of the ride-hailing app during the London Black Cab strike in 2014. Of course, we always we all know Matt Hancock doesn't need to be unduly influenced. I mean, he's, he'll do it himself. Um, However, what I say, they, they go, he takes pains to say that he's been unafraid to criticize Uber and other tech companies when necessary and appropriate. So it's like, I, I don't think you necessarily... When yeah. Well, no, of course he hasn't, right? They've all been saying this kind of stuff too. Like the mayor of Toronto was um, named in these, in these revelations as well as basically like, you know, having these meetings with Uber and then um, passing regulations in Toronto that basically matched exactly what Uber wanted the regulations to look like. Um, and, you know, he put out a statement the other day too, being like, no, you know, I wasn't unduly influenced. You can see that we were one of the first cities to regulate Uber, you know, ignoring that they regulated Uber exactly as Uber wanted to be regulated. Um, and then said, you know, we've updated those regulations as the circumstances have changed. And it's like, yeah, but like you legitimized mm-hmm. the company in the city and like decimated the taxi workers and like, you know, because you had these close relationships and and the Canadian media has outlined like, all of the people who were around him who have worked at Uber before or had relationships with Uber or gone on to work with Uber after. Um, and, and in Canada, the Canadian Conservative Party in the last election last year um, actually had a plank in their platform about regulating um, gig work a- along the lines of exactly what Uber wants. And the head of the policy committee uh, was actually an Uber lobbyist. And so like, you know, they're just deeply entrenched in all of these like political circles. You should know about us is that we have people. What's really funny as well is that most of these, you can always tell if a legislation was written by someone from Uber because it will basically have something that says gig economy slave, but in a euphemistic uh, 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 term followed by plus. So California is now branding their um all their uh, um their their C22 bill, right? Uh the, the proposition C, proposition uh, yeah, that the C22, you know, the 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 one you can't be a, a gig worker, you know, that one. Prop 22. Yeah, yeah, Prop 22. Uh it's now the law is the status is independent contractor plus and the Tory uh Canadian Tory uh plan for the for like um gig workers was called flexible work plus. It's always called yeah. plus if an Uber guy wrote it. Um, Apple TV Plus, Flexible yeah. Work Plus, everything's a plus. It's yeah. all plus. We're adding. <laughs> uh, we're adding. Uh, and also, like, I think that the, it's also bearing in mind, it's like all of the things it was supposed to accomplish. So its marketing said it was supposed to accomplish lifestyle benefits for middle class people who just aren't using their cars all the time. And then uh, that is all to fulfill this impossible dream of flying robo taxis and autonomous cars. Um, they've been unable to attain that, that particular promise. 
um, obviously, right? Because that was always going to be that was it was always a fake promise, though. The, the flying cars were more a fake promise for the Saudi investors. Um, and but when none of it worked, they did what any business has to do after it takes over a bunch of markets, which is hike fares, increase wait times, reduce quality, all that stuff. But beyond all of these ostensible goals and um, sort of covert goals or goals for investors or what have you, there's another goal, which is basically, I think this is something you mentioned in your article, Paris, that it's kind of the apotheosis of what turned out to be a Koch brothers plan to deregulate the cab industry everywhere. Them again. (laughs) Yeah, those guys. They love to turn up. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, abs- penny. it absolutely is, right? Like, and, and I would just say on the documents, like, I would say one of the things that's, in, that's important to note about them is they do kind of fill in a lot of details, but largely like they're kind of reinforcing things that we already know about the company, right? We know that it had these like kill switches for the devices in the offices around the world. We know that they were using gray ball to like distract from regulators. We knew that they had relationships with academics and with politicians and with the media. But, you know, we didn't have like confirmation exactly and like all of the kind of background or details. And these files do give us that, which I think is important. Um, I, I do want to talk about gray ball at some point as well. Yeah, and we can definitely get to that. Um, I, I would I would also say that. As you were saying, like these revelations cover 2013 to 2017. Um, and so that is really the period when Travis Kalanick is still kind of in charge of the company. And then he gets replaced in 2017 with Dara Khosr Shahi, you know, the, the guy you were mentioning earlier. Um, and kind of what they say is that, okay, Dara comes in and he changes the culture of Uber, right? He kind of overhauls it. And so they're not this evil, terrible comp- company anymore. Yeah, he makes and them that- turn off the big criminality switch. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Stop the sexual harassment in the office and all this kind of stuff. Um, But the thing to recognize about that is that, you know, okay, maybe you change some internal culture stuff. Maybe, you know, it's not as terrible to be a woman at Uber. I don't know for sure. Maybe it's still really shit. Um, But, you know, they're trying to frame these these papers as though, okay, you know, yeah, we were bad before. Everyone knows that. But post-2017, when Dara is in charge, we're actually good again. You know, was, we're, we're not this evil company. Maybe exactly. I've changed. Take me back. Exactly. Mm. And But what we can see is that when Dara takes over, they escalate this war on workers by pushing for Proposition 22 in California to ensure that workers aren't made employees. They start pushing for this after they win that vote. Um, they start pushing for it to extend to other states in the United States. Um, Washington state recently um, passed a new gig work bill that it resembles most of what Uber would like. Um, they've run into trouble in Massachusetts. In Canada, they've been pushing Flexible Work Plus, and there have been developments in that direction in Ontario. In the UK, there's the recent decision recognizing um, gig workers as workers um, instead of as independent contractors. But that ruling said that um, the workers should be paid from log on to log off, not just the time when they have an order or a ride. Um, but Uber ignored that and is still just paying them the minimum wage for when they actually have, when they're actually active, you would say, when they have a ride, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even though that goes against what the Supreme Court said should happen. Um, and so they use all of these things to try to say that they're this like, you know, great employer that they've changed, blah, 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 when actually they are actively working to, um, you know, entrench a, a um, form of employment status that reduces the workers, that reduces the rights and benefits and protections that workers actually have um, while using their PR machine to make it look like a positive thing. And the final thing I would say about that is that 
the Uber files, you know, as I've been saying, shows how they had these relationships to politicians, right? Um, and in in saying that those things have changed, that we're not doing those things anymore, you know, it's it's a complete it's just total bullshit, right? Because they continue to try to gain these relationships with politicians, you know, all over the place so that they can pass these regulations that serve their benefits over the workers. We can see that in Canada. We can also see um, after Saudi Arabia murdered Jamal Khashoggi, um, Dara Khosrowshahi was like, oh yeah, you know, people make mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. And it's just like, they just like murdered a guy in cold blood. Like, what are you talking about? But Saudi Arabia Listen, that, is that one of their mass shareholders. So sometimes you just have to like walk backwards out of a building. And when you do that, you might want to catch an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, 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 uh, I, I think that the, the defining moment of Khazar Shahi's, uh, tenure at Uber certainly was just, kind of forgetting that you're supposed to pretend to be mad at the guy who did the murder <laughs> of the journalist at least for a bit before continuing to take his money <laughs> uh really funny the other thing right is that we talk about th this being a sort of a coke brothers dream i sort of zoom back in on that right, right? where right. they 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 where uber sort of did all of this stuff and it was based on this premise of completely deregulating these um uh, taxi industries and you could argue that like the Koch brothers dream in terms of the taxi industry specifically didn't really work because it's not as though there is now sort of one profitable company that you the Koch brothers can invest in um that you can just like buy a whole taxi market because uber still doesn't work very well right but what did happen which is so it's, in effect they kind of lost the battle but they did win the war because it was uber that created the model of gig work that is now spreading everywhere else Absolutely. And like I dig into this a bit more in, in my book, and it's really pulling from some work that um, Vina Dubal has done, that uh, Hubert Horan, a, a transportation consultant, has have done. And, and they have kind of outlined how, um, you know, the Koch brothers really pushed this notion or, or you know, we're, we're part we're part of funding this campaign to deregulate the taxi industry in the United States in the 1990s that mm. largely failed because taxi workers did still have some power at the time, right? And were able to push back against it. Yes, they had successes in some parts of the country. Yes, they rolled some things back. But taxi workers still had um, the regulatory framework that provided them some protections in terms of, you know, regulating the, the price of the fare, regulating the number of drivers that could be on the road so that, you know, they wouldn't just see their their work conditions and their earnings just plummet, right? Because the, the the market would be flooded or people would be competing on price and what have you. Um, and so when Uber comes along, they're able to really pick up that playbook from the 1990s, from that deregulatory campaign that that ultimately failed, um, and really push to destroy the taxi regulations that existed, to write themselves out of those regulations, to decimate the taxi industry that was already there, to kind of become the taxi industry and to create, as you were saying, this new form of gig work that is able to carve a whole load of other people out of regular kind of employment relationships and, and employment status. And that even though um, Uber is like a company that has never turned a profit, that's still really beneficial for a lot of capitalists to be able to um, you know, decimate workers like that to remove their rights and to set up this new framework that they can uh, kind of benefit from going forward. Yeah, and so I I'm, I wanted to get into some of the specifics here, right? Specifically, uh, because we talk so much about tech media on on this show, as you do on yours, uh, as do our friends at This Machine Kills, um, <laughs> and, and other fine podcasts. But I wanted to talk a little bit about um, their uh, PR, their PR work, and the worked example that sort of um, I think most people will know, 
which is the uh, university economist targeted in France to like do paid work for Uber. And the first thing I noticed about this, right, um, which is that like they would give like an academic sort of a hundred thousand more more euros uh, just to like do a piece of favorable research for them. Um, it is so much more expensive to buy a European academic than a Tory MP. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, academics know their worth. They're forced to. Tory MPs, they they already get paid enough and get expenses enough that they can just be like, indulge their little whims. Be like, oh, get me some little tiny jockey furniture or whatever. Yeah, if you give Matt Hancock, like, a branded hat, like, he will legalize it. He will legalize you to. He will push for you to be able to run people over. He will install, like, bombs in your workers' skulls. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he'll be like, yes, fine. You can drive on the pavement. That's cool. Um, <laughs> so this is from the, this is basically I uh, was written up uh, uh, in, in 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 across this sort of uh, international consortium of investigative journalists. But they would say like they negotiated, for example, a hundred thousand euro consultancy arrangement with a rising star of univer- university economics, uh, Professor Augustine Landier, the Toulouse School of Economics, uh, and some of his colleagues. And um, so this is. A report. This is a, a, an article in the FT from 2016 citing the study, and I'm going to read quite a bit of it because it is genuinely jaw-dropping, considering what we know about Uber. Baba, or Sanka, as he is known to his friends in Bobigny, a suburb in northern Paris, likes to say that Uber got him out of jail and kept him out. Oh, that was nice of them. A high school dropout, Baba started to slip into petty crime in his teenage years, much like many youngsters in the unemployment-stricken immigrant enclaves that circle France's capital, and he went to jail several times. Then, Uber rolled out its ride-hailing app in France. Um, A friend who started a minicab company using uh, Uber's technology offered Baba a job as a driver, and a judge let him out early under judicial review. So uh, Uber, basically, uh, they, they did a great escape. They broke this guy out of jail so he could start his own business. <laughs> yeah, they were putting a team together to, you know, ferry Parisians around. Uh, uh, laughing as he drove his Peugeot 508 to a, a, a garage through tr- rundown rows of small houses, Baba says, without this job, maybe I would still be in prison. It took only a few years for Uber and other ch- pop- platforms. And this is where we basically see, say, who is keeping Baba in prison? It's Parisian taxis monopoly on, uh, on, on, on transport in the capital. They say it took uh, only the a taxi few... taxi cartel. It took only <laughs> a few right. years for Uber and other platforms challenging the Parisian taxis monopoly to create more than 15,000 jobs. So look, I'm sorry, if you want to like, you know, if you don't want to deregulate everything for Uber to come in, just look at Baba and his kids and tell them he has to go back to jail. Sorry, <laughs> well, no, the, there'll the, be no the, father be, this year. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell the children. Sure. Yeah. They uh, love these little anecdotes, right? They'll, they'll always pick out like the one person they can find who really benefits from Uber and then like ignore everyone else who's like sleeping in their cars and stuff because like their livelihoods have been decimated. Yeah, and so this is um it's a feel good story. Why aren't you yeah. feeling good? So it's it's <laughs> it goes on. This is sort of just the, the fluff before we get into the actual sighting of the study. Uh, there has been a tidal wave of startups in the banlieues. An entire generation want to be Uber drivers, said Sabrina Loro at Planet Adam, a nonprofit organization that helps and residents in the suburbs set up businesses. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Are they sure. considering the Uber drivers startups? Like, is, is that what it's referring to? Uh, it's the, it, the, the France, the model is you can have a minicab company that then just okay. subcontracts to Uber. And then that is a quote unquote gotcha. startup. Um, uh, that's fucking grim. Research seems yeah. to bear this out. Here we go. Uh, Charles Boissel, a PhD student at HSA Paris, a business school, 
found that most minicab registrations were in, were in the suburbs of North and Southeast Paris where economic conditions are, are the harshest. After Uber agreed to partly open its database, Professor Augustin Landier, the guy who was paid 100,000 euros, um, professor at the Toulouse School of Economics, and David uh, Themar, a professor at HEC, conducted the first detailed study of Uber drivers in France on, de- on data Uber gave them. And again, at the time, there didn't seem to be much of a desire to say, hey, wait a minute. What? No, wow. of course not. How? Why? Because if you say, hey, wait a minute, pause for a moment. Why? Uh, then you are sort of, you know, called disparagingly a Luddite because that's the moment when this whole thing is so flooded with venture capital that no one's really asking how you can get all the way across Paris for like five euros. It's just great. The party, the party is here. I don't know who's paying for this. Uh, the price of oil seems to be up. I can't imagine those are correlated. Um, but it, it, it's, it couldn't just be like the Saudis re- recycling petrodollars into demolishing the world's cab industries. Hey, listen, they broke that guy out of jail. All right, would would they have done that if they were bad guys? Um, some of the drivers drivers have the highest Uber grades. Do not fit the stereotype of the perfect employee. For example, one is tattooed and another has dreadlocks. Oh my! Wow, that's fucking crazy. Because the thing is, right, being a cab driver, you used to it used to be like insanely tough dress code. You know, if you didn't have if you didn't have like shined shoes to a polish when I got into your cab, I would get out the other side. No, no, no. The dress <laughs> we all know the, the if if it's like um it's like going to a white tie thing. You need to have like. The sort of tweed hat with the little uh, visor. Yeah, you need to have yeah, the kind sure. of like um, leather jacket open over the stained white shirt and the chain. Like you need mm-hmm. to. All, that's very. They take it very seriously. Uh, so yeah, it's like a worshipful <laughs> company of taxi drivers. Actually, I think that is one even. Um, and, and so basically, the research just just essentially says that. Oh yeah, look. Uh, the research bears it out that the more you deregulate taxis then just you don't have to make these people better off through welfare spending they just make money themselves by being uber drivers um and 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 that's and that's the research that was done that yeah, uber can, basically can, paid they for they can drive ubers forever we're pretty sure yeah and it's, it's exactly okay. the narrative like just hearing you describe that like it's exactly the narrative that was used in the 90s by the clinton administration to like justify their neoliberal program or like part of what they used to justify it because the internet was going to provide economic opportunity to poor people. And so you could gut the welfare state um, and also increase the carceral state. Um, and, and that's what they did. Like that was part of their project. And so it's always fascinating to me to hear those narratives become like recycled because we heard them again recently from Elon Musk. Elon Musk was saying that Starlink is going to create opportunity all around the world by like extending access to the internet. And it's like, dude, we've heard this before. It's all a load of shit. Mm-hmm. And listen, just the fact that it's been like disproved multiple times by experience isn't enough to write it off this time. Maybe <laughs> no, you know, maybe we can find some other sort of like sector of uh, like uh, undervalued labor that we can exploit using the internet, and all of those people will become entrepreneurs. Exactly. Um, exactly. So here's the ending of that article. Then we're going to go on to Grayball before we close it out. Uh, it says, "People, this is Baba." Um, uh, if 10,000 drivers uh, are gone because of new regulations, it is heavily implied, then we won't be able to meet demand. Prices go up and wait times could be longer. M- many of them will just go back to the banlieues and most will go back to crime. You're, you're, you're making <laughs> these guys go back to crime by regulating yeah. them. That's Absolutely. Really Look, is. if you don't Emmanuel completely... Emmanuel Macron was right, actually, by allowing Uber in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. That's right. It's, uh, it's... He should be praised. 
It's, he's managed to save on the police budget by making everyone in France an Uber driver. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the police budget, let's talk about all of the uh, things that yes. they did. And again, not so here's, here's yeah, the ahead. thing, right? I, I can now say this without fear of being sued. The thing about Uber and almost every corporation you can think of is that the people running them are criminals. Uh, that That's an important fact to understanding what's going on here is that a great deal of what business is, is criminality that you are terrified anyone will discover and that you might face any consequences for. And so, we get to talk about Greyball, Godview, and the kill switch, all of these fun little tactics that they developed to, uh, really it is, it is fully like flushing the evidence down the toilet. So there is no distinction between those two things. Um, and, and I think it's also worth saying that, right, because a lot of this is also for evading police. I think it's mm-hmm. important to remember that uh, no, the police would not have meaningfully stopped them from doing much of this. I, I disagree. I think yeah. that this is the reason why you do it, is because you're afraid of at least the possibility. Well, yeah. I think there's a difference between, like, the police would not have done this, which is certainly true. Uber had, like, enough pull, higher enough up. That's that what I mean, yeah. Made a difference. And the difference between that and only the police out of any of the sort of like bourgeois institutions of society could have done anything. Mm. I think the police were the only ones that like, or the tax authorities or whatever other mm. sort of like enforcement, enforcement, basically. Yeah, were the only ones that made Uber feel threatened. And I think we should sort of take them by their own actions, take their word for it on that. I think what I, what I, what I sort of have writ- written down in my own notes is that I don't think that beca- because of how because of like the relationship between the police state and capital and Uber's relationship with the state, I think it's sort of unlikely that they would have ended up doing much. But sure. I think what hap- what is true is that Uber saw this as an arm of the state, which it perceived as providing kind of democratic oversight of its activities, which could not be yes. tolerated. I think that's yeah. the key. It depends on the jurisdiction as well, right? Like it's very different depending on um, where you're looking, like there's some places that were much more forceful than others. Like some places were like, yeah, we don't care. Like let the Ubers come in, whatever. Other places I would say where the tax taxi industry was more powerful, um, were able to push back more effectively. Um, like in Portland, Oregon, which is where I believe Grayball was like, is like the main story of where Grayball was used. And I think where it was like pioneered was the regulators were like basically going into Uber vehicles, um, like order them, ordering them on the phone and then basically like handing them, I, I can't remember what the type of thing would be, but basically saying like, we're impounding your car um, because this is illegal. You're not supposed to be doing this. And that's why they, they developed Grayball because then Grayball like put fake cars on the, on the map. And every time they would try to hail a car, it would like cancel on them because they wouldn't actually get a real car. It's a um, little pretend sort of like toy version of Uber that you can show to a regulator or you can use to like exactly. diffuse regulation. But it's uh, just imagine like uh, being a, a sort of a Eurocrat or whatever who's like trying to get home from their job as like a some kind of regulatory role in Brussels and just being like, why can't I fucking get a car? <laughs> Well, because they did, they did this. They targeted these people by like ring fencing, by geofencing things like police stations. Yep. So if you worked in a police station, if you're in a police station, you could not hail an Uber because that would be intercepted part way through. Which is again very amusing. Again, flatly like concealing your own crimes. Like there, yeah. there is no sort of like other gloss you can put on it. That's what it is. Um, Absolutely, and you can see in the Uber files that like. You know, people at the company are admitting what they do is illegal, like they absolutely know it. Um, but 
they don't care and they know that like they are basically not going to face any real consequences for it. Like, okay, yeah, they might face like monetary fines somewhere, but they have like more money than God. No so one's, no one's going out in like handcuffs over this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so it's the but this I think that the extent to which it's very brazen. I think you you said earlier, Paris. Like, to what extent is this? Or you you said this, Alice, and you, and you gave an answer, Paris. And I want to sort of go back to that, which is to what extent is this just normal activity? And what is really striking is that any time the lid is lifted on this kind of thing, it always looks really similar. Like I'm sort oh, of re- any yeah. a, listen. This is this is playbook stuff, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like when when I said that, like any corporation is run by criminals because that's what a corporation is. That yeah, and, yeah. You know wh- whether that like offends you on sort of a, a procedural or a moral level or not. That that's just sort of integral to how they do business. Yeah. Um, and, but, I mean, and I would say the more and more that we see like how these tech companies act, the the more similar it is. Like the more you can see that they're taking the same sorts of actions to evade regulations, enforcement, all these sorts of things, um, just to benefit themselves, their own business models. Um, and so let's let's so we have Grayball, right, which is the fake Uber that you give to people who might ask questions about it, where every car just is say, oh, another legitimate car. <laughs> um, uh, but we also have another couple. So one is uh, Heaven, which basically, much like the Mark Zuckerberg thing, where he can just go view any f- uh, message on Facebook, um, they, that Travis Kalanick could look at every Uber, uh, any, any any Uber going on going around, and so they could use that to determine when um, when there was a, uh, a a raid planned. So they'd say you could see them ordering a driver, speak to the driver, and ask them to do circles or call the rider to say he's blocked in traffic, and so on. Uh, so you could yeah, kind it's of fully the same stuff like having reception stall them while you're like throwing hard drives out of the window yeah. or whatever. <laughs> which of course they also had a button to do. Which I mean, look, yeah, I mean, the kill switch. Yeah, the, the kill, kill switch. switch is my favorite example of yeah. like uh, sort of regulation defeat, and that is uh, if if your offices are raided by tax authorities, the police, whoever else, uh, someone in Uber headquarters can push a button and it just denies access to data in a like deniable way to that whole office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know what it was? It's like that. It, you, there used to be like file corruptors that you could get for like if you wanted to oh, get I'm extra sorry, time. I can't send my essay because yeah. it must have like gone. <laughs> it must have gotten like corrupted or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly the same it's, thing. They they give um they had one of those, but for their entire uh like tax records for all their financial oh sorry i can't say i can't send you the um details of how we vetted all of our drivers according to the rules of this jurisdiction because i'm afraid the file has become corrupted can i have an extension that like rockets me up to the sort of the the top left of the political compass here and like makes me appreciate enforcement Mm -hmm. as a mechanism is seeing the emails about using the kill switch where you know Travis Kalanick will be sending an email at three in the morning going, hey, we need to fucking burn all the shit in Amsterdam right now. And I feel like um, the guy at the end of Starship Troopers with his hand on the bug, like, it's afraid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, great, we, wait, you can terrify these people. All it takes is, like, uh, a big metal relentless... <laughs> like yeah, in Starship a, Troopers. A big, a big metal probe and also raiding their offices. They really don't like that. And it's good, and you should keep doing it. <laughs> um, so be that, be, be, albeit that that is in itself insufficient because they have like work done workarounds, but like there's something there. I should al- say. Also, to be, f- I think my interpretation of the end of Starship Troopers is uh, that Doogie Hauser just says that because he thinks everyone else is going to think it's great. <laughs> 
I don't think the brain bug is actually afraid. Um, so I, I want to sort of move on just to this sort of to, to sort of by way of, of, of wrappings wrappings up, uh, mm. which is what Uber has sort of. I mean, we we have barely scratched the surface of the surface of this, of course. Uh, mostly because we spent so much time talking about Donald Trump and Elon Musk. Because yeah, he's too good at posting. Yeah, because he's too the fun. important topics. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Uh, it, this is what Uber has, res- has said. Right? They've said, "Look, it's it's this is why Uber has hired a new CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, who is tasked with transforming the culture of the company." But I think one of the things that we talk about, right, is if your business is pure volume, if your business model is to literally buy market share and then jack up the prices. You are you are going to have to bulldoze every regulation that's designed to prevent entrance into a market from doing that. Yeah, the co- and like, by, by by its own nature, you have to commit crimes. Yeah, and so the 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 culture of Uber was never. I mean, the culture of Uber was terrible, but the the thing that like caused Even it to be been yeah. nice, they yeah. still would have done all of the same. Precisely things. right, and and to, so just. It is such an obvious uh, smokescreen, and you can even see they they also try to hide behind Eric fucking Holder, another Obama yeah. alum. Yeah, they say he, Shah, he was guided from the start by the recommendations of Eric Holder. Like fucking these Obama guys love to just go. It's like the the Pod Save America Johns are like the poorest Obama alums <laughs> at this point. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. like they could have all gone to work for like, you know, a Splorch, a anti-food waste startup and gotten paid like $40 million a year. And yet they fucking didn't. They're stuck in here with us in the podcasting dojo. One of the rare examples where starting a podcast is a bad business decision. Yeah. Uh, he was <laughs> I, th- I think from- it's interesting okay. to note as well, though, that um, like when Travis Kalanick is kicked out in like 2016, 2017, it's yeah. framed as though this is because of the culture of the company, because the culture is a problem and he created this culture. Um, and I don't get into this in the piece, but I think it's fair to say that that is bullshit. The investors and and the, and whatnot and the board and whatnot don't really give a damn about the culture of the company. They're concerned that because it has reached the scale um, where people are really concerned about it, it's not so much that they're concerned about the workers and in the headquarters and what they're subject to, but rather that Travis Kalanick is becoming so toxic that Liability. it threatens their ability exactly to to you know make back their capital to earn a return on their investment. It's not that they really want to clean up the culture, so to speak. Of course, I mean, of course. And so they had to get uh, uh, one Persian man. Um, exactly. So uh, <laughs> this is uh, they say we moved on from the era of confrontation to one of collaboration. Yeah. And we've listed all of the things they've done since Khosrow Shah has taken over the beginning. Well, some of the things they've done, they've done many more. Uh, which ones were those? Were those confrontation or collaboration? I mean, I just suppose it, 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 it's collaborative yeah. to like uh, destroy California labor law. Yeah, they're actually You're doing, doing it, with, it for the workers. Like, you know, they're yeah. helping the workers by taking away their rights and benefits. I suppose they are collaborating with California Democrats. Um, California? <laughs> yeah, California. Yeah, they, should, they should rename like California, like female Democrats to California Democrats. <laughs> do numbers. I said, yeah. demonstrating a willingness to come to the table and find common ground with former opponents, including labor unions and taxi companies. Again, oh I struggle my. to identify where common ground has been found. Why, why, um, aren't, why aren't you compromising with them, Paris? Why aren't you compromising uh, with them right now? They're, <laughs> they're reaching out to you. <laughs> yeah, but you as their enemy, you should be around the table. Yeah, right. I, should, I should be taking my payment and like starting to say that Uber is fantastic. One of the people who, <laughs> <laughs> one of the people who comes up in, in some of these articles is... Um, 
Alex Rosenblatt, who wrote a critical book about Uber a few years back. And then like a couple of years after the book came out, was like, oh, yeah, so I'm going to work for Uber now, guys. And uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize you could literally sell out like that. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and, and on the, the other parties people come up as well is like, if you want to think about the legacy of post Khosrowshahi Uber in the same way as the legacy of Uber in general is the creation of gig work, the legacy of post Khosrowshahi collaborative Uber is the legacy of entrenching two tierism, right? Of not just having this gig work thing that's terrible, but then creating all of the legislative framework around it that makes it impossible to get rid of. And you see that anytime you talk, and this is an example of announcement from Mark Warner, but you can see this in the UK, you can see this in even like the fucking like, um, the liberal, the liberal party's uh, uh, plan, not just the conservatives, basically written by an Uber guy. Um, and this is all about, say, how you get gig workers benefits, for example, right? And doing that kind of thing, as opposed to destroying the category entirely, entrenches it and makes it impossible to get rid of. So thank you, Dara Khosrowshahi, for sitting around the table and thrashing this out with all of your friends. Yeah, um, and... Let's let's say as well that the benefits are complete bullshit. Like they're not real in any sense. Like they'll talk about a minimum wage, they'll talk about health benefits, but most workers don't get that. The minimum wage is only for the time you have a ride. So in California, they estimated it's equivalent to five sixty four an hour. Like it's it's a pure joke. Jesus. And I, I think I would also note that like you know we've talked about the evolution of Uber, like what it has become, right? Um, like it sold off all of its big bets during the pandemic because it admitted that autonomous vehicles and flying cars and all this stuff was complete bullshit um, and said it was refocusing on ride hail and on food delivery. Um, and now we've seen, you know, Uber is very much like an easy money company, a cheap money company, right? Um, and now we've seen interest rates are rising. It's going to be more difficult for that. And I think one of the notable developments is that Uber has started to make agreements with taxi companies, the te very taxi companies that it tried to like eradicate um, in New York City, in San Francisco, in Italy. I'm sure there are more coming to put the taxis on the app. So after decimating the conditions of the drivers, after effectively deregulating the taxi industry, now Uber is coming in and saying, put your taxis on our app and you you know, I'm not exactly sure how the regulatory framework works right now, but it, it looks to me like the final step to just subjecting the taxis to the rule of Uber um, and having them be able to make the rules for how the taxi industry works now that the regulatory framework is essentially being decimated. Right. Perfect. So, I mean, e even even though they didn't win in the sort of corporate sense, they won in the lobbying sense. Mm. Uh, and this these disclosures... Uh, just didn't really seem to like put a damper on it, but we'll see. Yeah, well, it's the um. I mean, well, I think they will see stuff like what happens to Macron, for example. Like, does this actually end up damaging political careers? Yeah. Uh, will it hamper Matt Hancock's uh, return to conservative oh, front I benches? Uh, I surely hope not. Um, but I I think that the thing to the thing I've sort of learned from this whole thing, right, is just it really puts into context the extent to which Uber has clumsily and embarrassingly lost almost every battle it's gotten into while very handily winning the war. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with all of the ending on that cheery note, um, <laughs> I want to say, uh, Paris, it has been an absolute delight to podcast with you a second time in as many days. Yeah, thanks so much. It's great to come back on the show. Great to chat with you many, many times. Um, you know, forgive me for saying, uh, you know, if you enjoy talking about Uber, if you enjoy hating on Uber, I have a new book out uh, that you probably already Please. know about called Road to Nowhere, What Silicon Valley Gets Wrong About the Future of Transportation. You know, you should like consider going buying a copy. That would help. Yeah. <laughs> Look, 
If you didn't buy a copy last time Paris came on and said to buy a copy, or even yeah, if you did, pre order yeah, last did, time, now you need coffee. to buy it. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, and also don't forget, we have a Patreon. It is a second episode every week for $5 a month. And uh, Paris has also a podcast. It's called Tech Won't Save Us. Uh, one time, uh, we, uh, Tech Won't Save Us, and This Machine Kills accidentally put out more or less the same episode the same day <laughs> on one week, which was very funny. So-called free thinkers. Yeah, no one tells us what to write. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, uh, Molly White is just pulling the strings like a marionette. Um, anyway, uh, we'll see you all later, friends. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.